Morning, church. James chapter 3. We continue in our series, Faith Works. Let's open our copy of God's Word to James chapter 3. Last week, we talked about this, that ever since the fall, there's been a war of words. We know that there's wars everywhere, wars, rumors of wars, but one of the most damaging, one, one of the most lasting, impactful hurts in war is the wounds that we cause with, with our words. And so James goes from war of words to this week, we're going to be talking about not just a battle of, of what we say, but the wisdom in which we get that words come out of our mouth from an arsenal of two types of wisdom. James is going to lay out this. Not just that there's a difference between what's true and false. He's actually going to brand for us. He's going to say there's, there's two brands of wisdom. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, pastor in Jerusalem, he, he knows that many of his congregation are going to be in the midst of trials, in the midst of suffering, and what they're going to come across is either they're going to draw from the source of wisdom from God, or they're going to lean on their own understanding, as Proverbs calls it. That there is, there's something that seems like it's wise, it seems like it's right. And James says, there is true truth, and then there's half true, kind of true, a little bit true, some truth. It takes the, the church to be in a place of discerning, where did I get the wisdom that I draw from? Which brand of wisdom am I living by? What type of wisdom needs to go and we need to take it to the curb? It seems so right, and according to God's word, it's so wrong. And we're in danger of believing half-truths, which would be a complete what? It's a, it's a complete lie. And here, here's where it gets more dangerous. Everybody ready? James doesn't just say that it's worldly. He doesn't just say that there's some wisdom that's out there that's half true. He says, wisdom that's not from God, it's sourced in demons' work. It's sourced in hell itself. We're not just talking about something that is okay to live by. We're talking about believing what God has said or being duped and deceived into believing Satan's lies. There's a lot at stake, right? There's a lot at stake of what we believe and what we pass on to others. Is your wisdom horizontal wisdom? James is about to say, is your wisdom, is the type of wisdom that, that you rely on, that you propagate and pass on to others, is it horizontal? In other words, is it earthly? Is it, he's even going to call it, it's, it's wicked, wicked wisdom. Is there such a thing? Let's, let's take a look. Let's start in verse 14. But if you have better jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts. Where does it start? start? Starts in my heart, right? Do not boast and be false to the truth. Don't, don't have your heart be filled with worldly ways of thinking and responding that you would open your mouth and you would live your life in a way that is a lie. Verse 15, this isn't the wisdom that comes down from above. This isn't vertical. It's not, it's not vertical. It's not from above. Everybody say, not vertical. This is very different. This is a wisdom that does not come down from God, but it, what does he call it? Earthly, unspiritual, but it's okay because it works. Is that what, what, is, what does your translation say? It's demonic. It's, it's not from God. And he doesn't say, but it's still okay because it works. This is demons behind these half-truths and these, these lies that we keep passing on to each other. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder 
There will be every vile or disgusting, wicked practice. When we are gone, and for some of us, we, over the past years, we've had to say goodbye to, to some people that we have loved, that we've been close to. Many of us have maybe attended far too many funerals. What's going to be spoken at your funeral? And sometimes the things that people remember you by are things that you say. He, he used to always say, and I, I can still remember sitting, sitting down, and she used to always say this. Do you have any phrases in your mind of, of loved ones? They're like, I can remember. They would always say that, right? Parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, aunts, uncles, just thinking. They, they would always emphasize this. They would always say this. We're, we're remembered by the things that we say and the things we repeat. And I wonder if some of the things that we keep passing on, the things we're remembered by, our legacy, right, our legacy, maybe it's going to be less about what we did and more about what we emphasized, what we valued, the things that we spoke about often. And I wonder, what's your legacy going to be? What are you going to be remembered for saying and emphasizing? Are you going to be remembered for living for, for this world and the pleasures of this world? Are you going to be remembered for sayings and phrases and ideas that are very much like what the world says or remembered for what God says, repeating his words? Are we going to be remembered for grumbling, demanding, expecting? Is it going to be horizontal? Is our legacy going to be one that is summarized as very earthly, as living for the here and now? Because I don't know about you, but I want, I want to know today what I'm going to be remembered for for at least a little while after I'm gone because your legacy is going to be made up of the things that you do, that you say consistently throughout your life, throughout the years. And I wonder, is it going to be what James is laying out here of the horizontal? What do we mean by horizontal? Even though we're maybe we're doing the right thing and we're saying the right thing, is our heart filled with these things? James says, first of all, he says what? He talks about bitter jealousy. If you have bitter jealousy in your your heart, well, at least as a foundation, if you want to jot down this, envy, envy. Number one, he, he wants to call out envy is self-pitied and entitled demand with empty hands wanting what another has. When it's bitter jealousy, adding to that, jealousy is the threat of full hands wanting to hold on to position, power, pleasure, the things of this world. So it's not just I want, I want, I want, but it's I have, I have, and I better not lose, and I can't lose it, and what if it's taken away, and what if it's gone? He's talking to the church, right? He's writing this letter to believers, and he's saying, some of you, your, your heart, it's full of not just I want, I want, but now that I have it, I, I got a death grip on it that if I lose it, I don't know who I am, and I don't know how I'm going to move forward. And he says, your hearts are filled with this. Where did you get that from? Not from God but from the world. Am I like that? Am I like that? Just ask that question out loud. Am I like that? Come on. Am I like that? Do I do that? Am I like that? How about this? Self-seeking. Self-seeking. He says, selfish ambition. What is selfish ambition? Is it wrong to be ambitious? Uh, no, it's, it's not a problem at all. Like, I have goals. I have dreams. I am driven. I, ha I have energy. I have a to-do list. I have a, a task list. And I want to, like, check the boxes of I'm getting stuff done. And I think for some of us, we're like, we get pretty fired up about that, right? Like, I, like I'm going places. I don't want to be stuck. I don't want to be stalled out. I want to move forward. But the key here is not ambition. The problem isn't ambition. It's, it's worldly 
ambition. It's selfish ambition. It's self, self, self-seeking. If you're taking notes, self-seeking. What is this all about? Selfish ambition motivated by a hidden agenda for myself, my reputation, what I get out of it. And the problem that James is identifying is that this isn't spirit-led. This is from the flesh. I will get this if I do this. And if I don't get it, I'm not valued. I'm not appreciated. I'm not noticed. I'm, what, why am I not getting promoted? And again, asking the question, am I like that? Am I like that? Do, do I find my heart getting filled with those things? He says this is worldly. This is even demonic. What, what else does he lay out? Number three, if you're taking notes, write this down. Bragging, bragging. He says, do not boast. When your heart's full, what do you do? I mean, obviously, if you're full of yourself, who are you going to talk about the most? You are going to talk about you. Here's a test. When is the last time that you have entered into a conversation with someone and you asked a few questions and then you listened for like 10 minutes, 20 minutes? When's the last time you did that even once? In the, are you known by living that way? I'm interested in you. I want to hear about you. What's going on in your life? Because my life isn't about me. I'm living for my king. I'm living for another world. And when your heart's filled with that, I'm not so interested in hearing myself talk and discussing things I've accomplished and I've done. And did you hear? Did you know? Me, 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 me. And he says, it's not just unhelpful. It's not just unspiritual. He says that kind of mindset is demonic. Who is Satan living for? He's living for himself. He's living for his glory, his accomplishments, and he wants to take you with him for your life to be filled, not with Jesus, not being slow to speak and quick to hear, but instead bragging, boasting. Literally, the, the, the word says, you're proud about your sin. Proud about sin. Hard-hearted, won't see things as sinful. Do you, do, do you hear yourself? Do you hear like how arrogant you are, how you talk about you? What are, you, what are you talking about? That's how you get ahead. You got to like talk about you and you got to promote yourself and you got to make sure that you put your name out there. Are you not hearing that you're proud about your sinful patterns, your sinful ways, bragging? He says this, deception is at the top of the list. If you're taking notes, jot this down. False to the truth, false to the truth. We lie. Here's the dangerous part. James, when, he, when he's talking about being false to the truth, he's not saying that you choose to lie to people. I don't know about you, but I don't know a whole lot of Christians that are, that are like showing up to, to church, serving Jesus, giving of their time, talent, and treasure, and that they are part of a small group, and they are engaged in serving others, and that they are just a pathological liar, and everybody's okay with it. Is that like a common thing? Like, most of the time, it's like, if all you do is lie all the time, then like, you're probably, you're probably not really walking, walking with Jesus. What he's saying here is not, well, don't be a pathological liar. He's saying, don't tell yourself lies all day long that you become self-deceived. You believe what you tell yourself. You have more influence on you because you talk to you more than anybody else talks to you. You have the greatest ability and I'm not talking about just positive thinking. I'm talking about the mindset, the worldview, your outlook, right, on yourself, on God, on others. A lot of it is formed by what? By this. I believe lies and I keep telling myself lies, being false to the truth. I don't know when the last time that this came out of your mouth. I know the Bible says that, but. I know that's true, but in my case, it's different. 
well, I know it says that I shouldn't do that, but at least I'm not doing what, what's happening in that moment. I have believed a lie about myself, and I've believed it so long that I am exempt from what the truth says. Well, I know for some people, like, that's really good for them, but we're, like, we're in a different season of life, and, like, we, we, we don't have the ability, or I can't do what other people can do. So, like, I'm not actually responsible to obey that part of Scripture, and we've, like, believed the lie. We've told ourselves a lie for so long. He says, this is unspiritual. It's demonic, deceptive. The heart is deceptive, and he says, we need rescue. And, and I ask the question again, am I like that? What about this? Number five, worldliness, worldliness, false wisdom, a limited perspective where God is not consulted and there is constant advice given and it has nothing to do with what God has said. Literally here, James says, in, in regards to worldliness, the wisdom that does not come from above, but it's earthly, the image all throughout the New Testament is this, earth dwellers earth dwellers. Don't be an earth dweller. What in the world is meant by that? To be worldly, to be an earth dweller is one that only thinks in terms of how does this impact my life right now? In the short term, is this going to either be good or bad? I only have one life. YOLO is the mantra of an earth dweller. You only live once. I got to pack everything that I need. Like my bucket list needs to be accomplished. I have goals and I have plans for my life. And God, could you please bless everything that I've laid out for me, my best life today? That's an earth dweller. In Revelation, it's listed over a dozen times of those that live as if earth is their home because they cannot think about and see that forever is coming soon. Heaven is being offered. Forever joy with Jesus. So if all there is to life is this, worldly, not born again, not of God. He says it's, it's demonic. How about this? Sensual. All right, should we, should we try to keep it G? All right. There is a way to say, I believe in Jesus, and I trust in Jesus, and I call myself a Christian, but my life is not marked by the new creation that I am in Christ. It's marked by unspiritual, old nature. The, the word there is suke. Suke means totally natural, not of the spirit, because it just seems right. It feels right. And God is telling us, feels good, seems good, there's a possibility that it's actually like this is a ploy of Satan. Live by your feelings, trust your heart. If it feels right, do it. And the mantra of every believer, James says, that's in danger of sensuality is constantly saying, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with this? It's not a big deal. What's the cure? What's the cure? He says there's something above. There's something above that is of the Spirit, not to be double-minded, but to purify your hearts. We're going to get to James 4, 8. He says, draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. Don't be double-minded. Am I like that? Am I like that? I wonder, on that day when, when life is over, that people will be like, well, they, they attended church once in a while, but they live like hell, and I, I mean, I, I, guess, I, I guess they're okay. They live for themselves, and they're really selfish, and I, I, I know that they had all kinds of addictions, and I know that they were, they were living for the pleasures of today, but, I mean, what's wrong with that? We all fail. Nobody, nobody's perfect. James says that's a problem because it's a lie from Satan himself saying you can live how you want to and call yourself a Christian. James, James says this is a problem. It's not wisdom from above. And lastly, here's, here's the hard-hitting one, right? If you're taking notes, jot this down, demonic demonic, 
Satan has lied. He deceived from Eden on, and he wants people to believe that we can think our own thoughts accurately, we can see our own lives accurately, that we can live for ourselves and we'll still be okay. And I just jotted down, am I being led astray in any way? Am I being led astray? Am I believing these subtle lies? And I wonder for, for some of us if, if any of those would hit on, yeah, I'm kind of like that. I kind of go that direction or I'm still living the old and the new has not become my, my reality. Well, we don't want to stay there. Everybody say, move on. Come on. Here we go. The deadly lie of the horizontal wisdom is that it promises that you can change your relationship, you can change your clothes, you can change your church attendance, and inside, never, ever change yourself and still be okay. It's horizontal. But number two is your wisdom, vertical wisdom. Let's look at this. Verse 13. I know many of you are like, I thought we were going to touch on verse 13, but like you, you just, you skipped 13 and went on to 14. Turn to your neighbor and say, we don't skip verses. Let them know. We're, we're not jumping around, okay? We're not, we're not going to skip over it. We're coming back. Verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? As you look around, he, he's saying, look around the church. Who's wise? Who's understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Did you catch that? The meekness of wisdom. Do you think meek wisdom is different than the worldly wisdom that we just described? Meek, meek. When you, when you hear meek, what do you have come to mind? Hopefully you're not thinking like meekness means weakness. Turn to your neighbor and say it's not that. The idea of meekness is think of a bridled horse. James just touched on this, right? All these images of the power of our words, the power of our mouth, and the ability to be led even by a small bit, well, the image that we have in meekness is incredible power under full control. Power, insane power, great power, and it's directed carefully and strategically. What would be the opposite of meekness? Maybe some of you worked for a guy that needed to learn a little bit of meekness. That great authority and great power and he needed to make sure that everybody under him knew who was in charge. It was him. He's the boss. That's not meekness. Great authority, great power, and using it in a way that is humble, that is gentle, that is, for some of us we hear, where we hear about domestic abuse. Why did God place a strong man in a relationship with his wife or girlfriend or fiance? What, what's the point of that relationship as it plays out with strengths. It's that the strong one would lend his strength, would offer it, would give it for the betterment of others. Not to manipulate, not to control, not to use anger as a fear and control tactic. And for some of us, if, if we're honest, that God gave us the ability to, to be strong. Wives, women that are really, really strong, have strong personalities, are very forceful, are very direct. Why does God give those kinds of abilities and strengths so that it could be put on display in a way that is low, that is gentle, that is for the good of, of others? And the only problem is that the demonic wisdom says, I need everybody to know who the boss is, who's in charge, who's in control here. And he says, there's a different type of wisdom. Where does it come from? It's from God himself. 
What is the God of all power? What does he do with this power? He comes and gets low. He comes not just as a human. Jesus comes as a servant. And what does he do with all the power in the universe? He, he helps those that are weak. He helps those that can't help themselves. He goes out of his way to restrain his anger and his wrath. He is long-wicked, long-suffering. Probably one of the most frequently repeated attributes of God. It's awesome. In a, in a moment, in a moment, God would be like, you're done, you're done. I'm going to snuff you out. That's enough. And instead, what does God do? All the power, all in all the universe. And he meets us where we're at. And he gently, power under control, meekness. He gently redirects. He gently nudges us. He gently shakes us a little bit to get our attention. He does not destroy us. How awesome, how awesome is this? That this vertical wisdom, it's so different. It's so different. This kind of meekness, this is true wisdom. Not, not flashy, not showy, not I will tell you what you don't know and you will be impressed with me, but instead gentle, lowly, humble. That's wisdom. Everybody say that's wisdom. That's the real thing. So what do you do with the knowledge you have? What do you do when you're around people and you know a little bit more than they do? When you're stronger and you're the strongest person, then what do you do with your strength? What do you do with your abilities? What do you do with your resume and your past and your accomplishments? Real wisdom, wisdom that's from above, is not flashy. It's not showy. It doesn't brag. It doesn't let everybody know about all the things of awesomeness that is me and you need to know because I'm not a nobody. I've done things. I know things. For some of us, like I fix things and I need to tell you all the ways that I fix. I've accomplished things and I need you to know all the things that I've accomplished. It's, it's demonic. And he says here, the exact opposite from above. Wisdom is meek. The real thing. Verse 17, but, everybody say but, but the wisdom from above, oh, we got another list. We don't just have seven rotten fruits of horizontal wisdom we have here. He lists seven glorious. Everybody say glorious. Glorious. Oh, glorious fruits of vertical wisdom. What are they? Number one, he says pure. This wisdom that's from above, it's, it's pure. It's a pure wisdom. What, what does that mean? Sexually pure? Sure, yeah. Especially in our highly sexualized society, but pure here means so much more than that. It, it literally means blameless. That, that people look at us and go, well, there's nothing I can really point out that, that he, that she is just living to, to flex his muscles or to, to brag or to make sure that she's at the center. Instead, that there is pure motives, blameless, above reproach. You remember uh, uh, in the fall, we went through First Timothy and talking about uh, leadership in the church, that there needs to be a level of uh, qualifications to be able to step into a role as an example of the believer. One of them is above reproach. It doesn't mean perfect. Turn to your neighbor and say, it doesn't mean that. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about pursuing purity, pursuing that there wouldn't be glaring issues that when confronted, there is defensiveness, there's a guardedness, there is a, uh, a shifting and a blaming. Pure, that's, that's vertical wisdom. That's God's wisdom on display. So, <laughs> Here's, here's the eye-opening piece. I'm not the only teacher in the church. So this kind of wisdom that God is calling every believer to pass on 
It shows up every time that we, we give advice to somebody else at work. Every time that we have a, uh, a schoolmate that we, we're talking to about, you really should or you shouldn't, we're, we're teaching, we're passing that on. Anytime that somebody calls you, right? Does anybody call anybody anymore? We don't do phone calls, right? So anytime someone's blown up your phone with text and saying, I got a problem, help me, I'm struggling, whatever it is, our response, what is it? Is it, well, here is some worldly advice or, or is it, let's go to God's word. What does God have to say about this? Because God kind of speaks about every subject under the sun. Is it pure? Is it from God? And are you leading in a way with pure motives? I wonder at, at your funeral if, if the eulogy will be, he modeled for me, she modeled for me the Jesus life, a life of purity, uh, of godly wisdom, not just a bunch of opinions, not just a bunch of self, but, but pure. It was pure. What a legacy, right? What a legacy. Everybody say, what a legacy. What a, what a legacy. I want to leave a legacy like that. How about this? Number two, peace-loving. Peace-loving. Verse 17 now, do you see it there? We have this wisdom that is first pure, then it's, it's peaceable. It's peaceable. Are you a follower of Jesus that loves peace? Could we clarify something just real quick? When we think about uh, somebody, do you have anybody in your life where like, they're just like the most peaceful person, like they're at peace, they, they love peace. Uh, I think sometimes we just think of who's the most like laid back, casual, no thoughts about anything, no opinion, easygoing that, that's not peaceable. Turn to your neighbor and say that it's not that. It's, it's, not, it's not like that at all. It's not, it's not the passive. When, when you hear peaceable, don't hear, oh, the, the one that's passive and, and has no strong uh, opinions about anything. Peaceable is somebody that loves peace so much that they are willing to provide it for others when people are going through turmoil and crisis. That they are a peaceful presence in a moment of trauma in a moment of an unknown future. For some of you, you've been with people that they're about to lose their minds, that they are at the end of themselves, that they're about to quit, give up, and we're living in a culture of, of mass suicides. Everywhere we go, people are ready to be done with life. How powerful is it that if you have God's mindset, God's attitude, you have God's truth in you, that you show up on the scene, you show up on the phone, and that you bring peace where there's anything but peace. And here's the flip side to that. When there is conflict going on with others, are you the type of person that doesn't want to meddle and get in the middle of it to be able to gossip or provide your own thoughts, but instead you want to actually come in and you want to bring people together? Where there's strife, you are willing to stick your neck out and to be able to be a voice of reason, a voice of hope, a, a voice of truth, that there would be peace are you a peacemaker? Have nothing to do, this is what 2 Timothy 2.23 and 1 Timothy 4.7, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. Don't jump into all of that knowing that fools breed quarrels. They speculate. They're gossipy fighting. And he says, peacemaking, peace lovers. They want to come into all that and say, shh, that's not the way. That's not the way. That's not how we talk. That's not how we address each other. This is the way. This is God's, God's way. It's peace-loving. Are you like that? What's going to be spoken over my life? Is it going to be a legacy of, man, he was just always picking fights. He was just always looking for argument and wanting to prove himself to be right. Or 
He was always wanting to help when things got heated. He always wanted to bring calm, peaceful presence when everybody was up in arms and at each other's throats. Peaceable. What about this? Number three, gentle. Gentle. He says, this is vertical wisdom. Vertical wisdom, it's a gentle wisdom. We mentioned this earlier, right, with meekness. And here he says in verse 17, wisdom from above, it's first pure. It's what, everybody? It's pure. Help me out. Then it's what? It's peaceable. And he says, now it's, it's gentle. Wisdom from above, it's gentle. It's not, it's not passive gentle. It's passionate gentleness. To make a difference with an attitude that wants to hush the, the obnoxious, the, the loud, the fighting, the, the attacking. I don't know if you've ever watched, I, maybe you don't have anybody in your life. You need somebody in your life like this. If you have ever watched somebody that just every time people wanted to pick a fight, they wanted to attack, they wanted to accuse, that this person's response was always like, I hear what you're saying. I'm, I'm trying to enter in and understand. I may not agree. That kind of hurts but it takes two, right? It takes two to tango, and I'm not, I'm not joining you in this dance. Gentleness. It's not that you're not going to be provoked. It's not that you're not going to be attacked. It's not that you're not going to be accused, but he says wisdom in moments of intensity that there is a spirit of gentleness that enters in, and it turns the, the volume down real quick. Typically in, in marriages and in good friendships, right, there's, there's typically one person that's like, I am not going to fight with you. I am not going to give in. I'm not going to get sucked in to your, your Texas tornado here as you tear up the house, as you tear up relationships, as you tear up the family. I'm not getting sucked in. I am going to enter in with a, a gentle spirit. Do you know how hard that is? Has, has anybody, have you been in somebody's in-your-face spitting and, and tomato-faced and you're going, I'm about to swing but I choose Jesus, right? I'm, I'm about to cuss, but instead I'm going to stay silent right now. It's everything in me not to argue back, fight back. When we say gentle, we don't say, well, it's, it's just if you have a gentle temperament already, it's just easy for you. We're talking about every believer, no matter what background, no matter what temperament, this is spirit-filled, spirit-led wisdom. How to respond, what to say, gentle and humble. Write this down, Matthew eleven twenty nine. I don't think we have it on the slides, but Jesus only described himself as far as his personality or as far as his, his temperament. He only described himself once. He described himself as far as his titles multiple times, right? That he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, right? He stated who he was, but the only time, Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, is when he actually describes his posture. And he says this, I am gentle and lowly, in heart. That's how Jesus described himself. Is that, is that how people would describe you? Like there's something about this Christian that is gentle, lowly, humble, servant-hearted. That's a legacy. That's a legacy. How about this? Number four, wisdom from above. Here we go. Pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason. Quick question. Are you reasonable? Are you reasonable? Do you find yourself in relationships where there's a pattern of you are open to let, let's negotiate, let's talk through it. Maybe I'm not seeing it correctly. I don't know about you, but I often uh, get emotionally charged. I often enter in with my mind's made up. Don't try to change it. Don't confuse me with the facts. Don't confuse me with the facts. 
I've already landed on where I'm, I'm standing, what I'm seeing, and the conclusion is, is made. I'm the only person. Hey, you just going to leave me? You going to leave me? All right, all right. So it's confession time, all right? Am, am I open to reason? Am I open to reason? Active listening, wisdom from above, teaches we don't know everything. We don't see it all. Other people have insights, other perspectives. Even our critics see things in us that even if they don't deliver it in a way that is helpful. When's the last time that somebody said something that just, I was so offended, I was so upset, it was so hurtful. If we would walk away and go, what, what if even like 18.6% of what they said was accurate? Would I, would, am I open to, to people speaking, even people that hate me? Blind squirrels find nuts once in a while, right? I mean, like, maybe even those that don't like us, right, that rub us the wrong way, even those types of people actually see some things in our lives. Are we open to reason? What, what if somebody is disagreeing with you? Are you open to say, let's, let's talk about that. Let's slow down. Wisdom from above. We, we talked about James 1.19. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Are you quick to hear, open to reason, and easily led by God's wisdom, even if it comes from really difficult people? Because that's a legacy, right? How awesome would it be that somebody shows up to your funeral and says, I hated her, but I can't deny that there was something about her that drew me, that I knew she was different. Him and I, we, we never really got along, but there was something about every time we talked, there was an ability to, to walk through things together, to see it from a different perspective. They were always open to discussing, not harshly debating. How awesome would it be if an atheist comes to your funeral and says, I don't believe a lick of what they believe. I don't believe in any of this Jesus garbage. Both of us, we talked a lot about religion, and every single time I walked away and I realized that they were open to hearing the things that I found fault with Christianity. They were open to listening and wrestling with me. Even though we're on opposite sides of things, on the religious spectrum, they had an ability to draw me in and listen well and discuss these matters. Is that you? Is that you? Could, could an, an atheist come to your funeral and say, there was an ability to be able to talk about things without getting angry, frustrated, upset, short, and attacking, open. How about this? Impartial. James loves this topic. We keep coming back to it. If you've been around for the past weeks, here's one topic that he goes back to again and again and again as he says, we have a tendency to look at people and to be able to judge them by what they, what they wear, what they look like, their background. All of us in the church, we are so prone snap judgments. James says, this is such an issue that he, he comes back to it. I think this is the fourth time in three chapters. He's like, here we are again. Here we are again. Here we are again. Lift up your voice and say, here we are again. Impartial. He says, this is wisdom that comes from above. And there's no way that you or I can see people and care for people and love people in a way that is impartial apart from it being supernatural. Because none of us naturally are warm and welcoming to every single type of person, every stripe of person. All of us have built in us a sense of partiality. And here he says, this is different. This is different. Wisdom from above, it's pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's open to reason. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and it's 
sincere. Let's look at these, these last ones. Impartial and sincere. Impartial, I see people as image bearers and I welcome people right where they are. And sincere, when I do it, my heart has a motive that I actually want to point them to Jesus. I don't have a hidden agenda. I'm not putting on a mask. It's real. It's real. And so I wonder for us if there would be an opportunity for us just to to land the plane here. Everybody say land the plane. Number three, if we look through all of these descriptions, can we make an honest assessment about what type of wisdom am I displaying in my life? Have I been brainwashed by the world? Have I adopted and adapted the ways of thinking? Am I still living the old way? Or is God changing me, changing my heart, changing my outlook, changing the way I communicate, the way I see people, that my motives are changing? Number three, do you believe vertical wisdom is worth it? Do you really believe? Do you really believe this? Verse 18, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So what is peace? What is peace? Everybody lift up your voice and ask, what is peace? Not the world's peace, not the world's peace. There's, there's a different type of peace, and it's a peace that is supernatural, that comes from above. Here, here's the best, best definition I can give. Rightly related to one another as a direct result of experiencing vertical peace with God. Because I'm right with God, I can now be right with others. Because I'm at peace with God, I can be at peace with other people. Like even her, even him, yep. I'm not saying that you can be besties with those that have hurt you and wronged you and abused you and neglected you. I'm talking about a peace in your heart that you can't explain because you're right with God. You can now, on certain levels, right, different variations of levels that you can have peace with others. God gives vertical wisdom for the purpose of understanding. We receive his peace to give it, to offer it, to lead others to him, to demonstrate peace. And I love this. Matthew 5, 9. You want to write down this address? Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed, exceedingly glad are peacemakers, because those are the ones that wear the badge of, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. I seek to be at peace with all people. Does anybody think this is easy business? Living a lifestyle where it's like, this isn't natural, this isn't easy, this is so different. How long do you think it takes to put off old, worldly wisdom and to start living a new lifestyle of godly wisdom? Any takers? Anybody got a, got a guess? You're like, well, I've calculated it out. We're talking, in one sense, it takes your whole life, right? Your whole life is going to be Little baby steps incrementally moving away from, I used to think, I used to respond, I used to teach others, I used to give this kind of counsel and advice, but now I see that's godless, it's empty, it's unspiritual, it's unhelpful, and now I'm slowly recognizing they they don't need to hear my opinions and my thoughts, they need to hear what God says. They need the mind and the heart of God entering into their situation. Where do you get that kind of wisdom? Could, could I just do a, a plug? If you don't have a Bible that you can read and understand, because I've spoken to a lot of people, do you have a Bible? Yes, I do. Do you speak Elizabethan English that is 600 years old? No, I don't. Then why don't you get a translation that you don't have to translate the translation 
because you might as well get a Spanish Bible and then translate it into English and then translate it in, or we could just get a translation that you can read and understand as soon as you read it, right? And I, I don't know what your, what your comprehension rate is. I don't know where you would start, but we use the ESV, the English Standard Version. I think it's helpful. I think it's accessible. I don't, I don't think it's the only translation, but I think there's something powerful about seeing every day God is giving me his wisdom manual. And unless I'm in this book, the things that are going through my head are unhelpful, unspiritual, and James says, demonic. Unless this book is in my head and in my heart, I can't speak truth that is actually going to help people. And so it doesn't matter how many sermons you hear, it doesn't matter how many messages, unless you are in this book for yourself every day, okay? If you skip a day, what do you do? I mean, you, you better freak out, okay? Because you can't even skip one, right? Is that the deal? Uh, you, you start tomorrow, right? You start the next day and say, uh, I, I missed three days. I missed a week. What do you do? Get back to the book, right? Get back to the book. There is no way that you are going to be set free. There's no way that you're going to be helpful to others. There's no way that people are going to stand over your casket and say, the words that came out of her mouth, the advice that I received from him, it was wise. It was vertical wisdom. I knew it wasn't from him. I knew that she didn't come up with that. She was telling me what God told her. She was passing on the message that was changing him, and he wanted to pass that on to me. That's wisdom. That's wisdom, right? And so as we close, I want us to do this. Let's stand up. By faith this week, by faith, we have faith work to do. Should we read this together? Should we read this together? This week, we have two commitments, all right? As we think about horizontal wisdom, what are we going to do with it? And as we think about vertical wisdom, we're going to do something very, very different, right? Let's read those together. I will reject horizontal wisdom, and though it feels so right, I know it is wickedly wrong. And lastly, I will passionately pursue vertical wisdom and apply it with meekness, meekness. Turn to your neighbor, meekness, let them know, with meekness, 